Welcome to Hope for Life, a broadcast ministry of the First Baptist Church of Ferndale, Washington, bringing you hope for life through the teaching of God's Word. Today, Pastor Lunsford is continuing his sermon series in the book of Hebrews. If you would like to follow along, you can open your Bible to the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. Well, did you see me on TV Friday night? You didn't? Well, I probably wasn't on TV Friday night. But I could have been because I was at the Mariners game. That wonderful 3-2 victory. Did they win yesterday? Oh, wow, two in a row. It's a streak. All right. <laughs> I got to sit in a luxury box suite on Friday night. Now, most of you don't even know what that is, do you? That's right. That's because folks like us don't get to go to the luxury box suite, do we? That's where the, you know, the rich or, you know, actually, I found out I'm helping support one of those boxes. Do you know that? Puget Sound Energy has a luxury box suite that I am helping to pay for when I write my check every month. That's right. They pay, pay the big dollars and you got those leather seats and all oh, the food and everything's wonderful. Had my Mariner shirt on. Oh, man. I was really something for about three hours. Hey, that's a real privilege. I'll tell you what, I've, I've been to some Mariners games, you know, in the cheap seats over yonder, but boy, that's really a privilege when you get to go to the luxury box. Wow. We're going to talk about a privilege that is greater than that or any other privilege you can possibly imagine in Hebrews 10 today. The book of Hebrews, as we've been studying through it, covers just tremendous uh, tremendously significant doctrinal issues about the person and work of Christ. And that doctrinal section came to a close at chapter 10, verse 18. And now he starts to apply all of these doctrines. And in verse 19 of chapter 10, we read this. Therefore, that therefore, that's bad English, but good Bible, that therefore summarizes ten and a half chapters of teaching or it pulls it all together he says because of everything I've been telling you because of all of that brethren having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus and by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh and having a high priest over the house of God let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching." There are three great commands or invitations here. Let us draw near, let us hold fast, and let us consider one another. We're going to look at the first one of those commands in verses 19 through 22. And the first thing that we understand from verse 19 is this. God has given us complete access 
to himself. God has given us complete access to himself. First thing that we understand as part of that is that God welcomes us into his presence. He says, therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest. In the original, it literally says the holies, the holy place. He's obviously alluding to the Old Testament a picture that's been going on throughout this book. We had the, the tabernacle, the place of worship with its fence around a large area. And then people would come in and there would be a sacrifice. And then the ritual washing and then they would go into the holy place. And then the very holy of holies where the Ark of the Covenant was and where God made his presence known to man. Where only once a year the high priest could go in. That place pictures for us what is now the reality of the presence of God. And here, he summarizes all of this teaching in the first part of the book by saying, Brethren, we have boldness to enter the holiest, or the holy of holies, right there in the presence of God. God says, come in. In 1995, I was on a disaster team that was part of a, a, a national medical force at the uh, Atlanta Olympics. You didn't know it, but the government was already worried about terrorist events in 1995. And we were part of a team of 150 people ready to respond in the case of a terrorist event that created a, a huge medical disaster. We were, we were actually federal employees staged on an Air Force base that's not used too much outside of Atlanta. And because it's not used too much, that's the place where the president flew in and went to see the Olympics and then got back on his plane and flew out. We were positioned in a, uh, in a hangar and we had educational space and hanging out space and whatnot, and that's what we, where we were. And the president landed across the Air Force base I don't know, 400 yards away on the other side. Here comes Air Force One and he lands. But before he came, all of the people with no name tags came around and said, all of you folks get back inside this hangar and we're going to close the door. There's no air conditioning in the hangar in Atlanta in the summer. We could go into the little scurry rooms and get some air conditioning. They closed the doors, they closed the windows. They said, don't even stand by the window when the president lands. We could look and see way over there, there's the president. There's the guy we're working for, but they wouldn't let us close to him. And in contrast to that, the God of all creation says, hey, come here. I want to spend time with you. No barriers. You and me, together. God says, come on in, sit down, let's connect. In Revelation 3.20, God gives this invitation from a little different perspective when he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. The God of the universe wants to have fellowship with you. He wants to welcome you into his very presence. No more veil between the Holy of Holies and the priests. No more tabernacle between God and the people. Direct personal communication. That's what God offers to us. But God doesn't just offer it to us. He doesn't just welcome us. He enables us to come into his presence. Look at the last half of that verse. We have boldness to enter the holiest. How? 
by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which Jesus consecrated for us. In the New International, it uses the word opened. And in the King James, I believe it also uses the word consecrated. The word would probably be best translated into English as the word inaugurated. To inaugurate something is to start something new and fresh. We have Inauguration Day. You know, the president is elected in November or thereabouts, depending on the circumstances. And when that election is finally verified by whoever verifies it, on uh, January 21, is, that, is the day the same every year? I can't even remember. But sometime in January, they have a big to-do, and he puts his hand on the Bible, and he says, I swear. And at that moment, he becomes the president. He's not the president until that moment. He is the president-elect, but until he actually enters this new era, he is not the president. He inaugurates the new era of government. God says Jesus inaugurated, he opened, he introduced a new era of relationship between us and God. Jesus died on the cross, was buried, rose again, and ascended into heaven to inaugurate our entrance into heaven. That's what it means when it says he consecrated or opened for us through the veil that is his flesh. The, the image there is, is one of him being the curtain, and once he died, then the way is shown into God. Revelation 5.9, a worship passage that says this, And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. You see, the door to heaven was closed a several thousand years ago when Adam and Eve chose to reject the daily communion with God and invest their life in sin. And once they sinned, God closed the door to his personal communion with mankind in the same way that it had been before that. And the door was never opened fully again until Jesus died was buried, rose again, and ascended into heaven. 1 Peter 1, 18-20 says this, You were not redeemed or saved or bought back from sin with corruptible things like silver or gold, but you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but he was shown or made, made plain in these last days for you. Jesus paid the price so that we could have full access to God. If some friends invited you to a baseball game and they gave you a parking pass for free parking right at the stadium, would you use it? Or would you say, you know, I'd rather pay my own way. I would rather go down the street a block and pay 15 bucks and park my car there. Because I don't want to be beholden to anyone. Well, if I know you folks, I think you'd take the free parking. Yeah. Any day of the week. Why won't 
people accept the free salvation that God offers. He says, look, I sent my son to pay the price because there's no way you could pay it anyway. And all you have to do is put your faith in Christ as Savior and I will give you this salvation. You know what a lot of people say? I'd like to earn it myself. And you know there's only one reason for that. Pride. Of course, the problem is you can't earn it yourself. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to God but by me. I'd like to turn that around and say, I am the way, the life, and the truth. Any man can come to God. Come on! It's free. It's open. Full access. Paid for. That's what God offers to us. Jesus inaugurated the way, and then verse 21 tells us that Jesus maintains the way. Verse 21 says, And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. The key element in the high priestly work of Christ is this. He keeps the way open. His presence in heaven keeps our salvation secure, keeps our access free, because all God has to do is look at him and he says, hey, the debt's been paid. The sin's been washed away. It's the person of Christ. The North Cascades Highway here is a beautiful drive through the mountains from Cedar Woolley to Winthrop, but it's only open part of the year because so much snow falls and it's so hard to keep it clear that the state just shuts the gate and says, see you in the spring. Jesus keeps the way clear all the time. He not only made our access to God possible, he keeps the access permanently possible by his presence with God. We already looked in Hebrews 7.25 in weeks past the fact that it says we have a great high priest able to save to the uttermost, to the extreme, those who come to him. Well, God has given us free and complete access to himself. The second part of this passage, though, verse 21 tells us this. God expects us to use our access to him. Look at verse 22. He said, since God has invited us and since Christ has made it possible and continues to make it possible, verse 22, let us draw near. Let us draw near. Many years ago, when chainsaws were first uh, put on the market, Jeff's grandfather went to buy one. And he went into the store and, and he said, you know, they, they tell me that these chainsaws really cut a lot of wood. The guy in the store said, oh, absolutely. One man, a chainsaw man, you can do work like nothing. Boy, you can just... So he said, I'll take one. Put down his money, took his chainsaw, went out and put in a hard day's work, and he came back and he put that chainsaw down on the counter and he says, I want my money back. He says, why? He said, I can cut more wood with the straight saw than with that old thing. And the guy said, well, just a minute. So he, the, 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 so the owner of the store took the saw and he grabbed the thing and he... <laughs> Jeff's granddad went, what in the world's that noise? Think real hard now. 
God has given you access to him, but the problem is many of you don't know what that access means. You're treating it like a chainsaw that doesn't run. You think, what, what, what use is that? Turn with me to Hebrews 4. Let's find out about what use that is. What's the value of having this access to God? Hebrews 4.14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Do you need grace and mercy and help in time of need? That's one of the things God is offering through this access to him. He says, do you need help? Come to me. I will give you help. Because we have access directly into God's presence, we can go there and he will help us. We call that prayer. You can talk to the big guy, as some of my friends like to say, to the man upstairs, the one who does control the world. That is your privilege. When you have a difficulty, you can talk directly to the source. And God can help. Turn back a little farther to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians 4. Verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. Let's, let's paraphrase that and say, don't worry about anything. But in everything, by prayer... And supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Verse 7 of Hebrews 4 and the or of Philippians 4, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Do you need some peace? Do you need to be able to go to bed at night and put your head on the pillow and Close your eyes and just saw some logs. God, the eternal creator of the world, says, do you need some help with your difficulty? Come to me. Because we have access directly to God, we can go to him and say, God, I'm having a problem. And I need some help. And what he promises here is that if you will unload all, all of your burdens... You want, to, you want to know how, how this works? If you pray, and when you're done, you go back to worrying, you haven't prayed enough. That's how you can tell if you're done praying. Because if you pray all of your concerns to God, I mean, every thought you have about that particular situation that is troubling you, you give them all to God. He says, I'll tell you what, I'll give you an exchange. You give me your troubles, I'll give you the peace of the Holy Spirit. Now, is that a deal? Why would you not take that deal? What a great invitation he gives us. Come into my presence. 
I will give you my peace. Turn to the other side of the book of Hebrews to James, please. Let's look at one more thing that he offers us through access to his presence. James 1, verse 2. You know this passage, those of you that have read the Bible at all. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various difficulties, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be complete, lacking nothing. If you lack wisdom, I won't ask you to raise your hand today, but could I, could I ask you, do you need to be a little smarter on some things? And if the answer is no, then you don't need to come to church anymore. You're excused. If you lack wisdom, ask God who gives just a little teeny bit whenever you ask, just kind of pays it out a little bit at a time. Is that what it says? How does he give? He gives liberally. Wow. And without reproach. Do, do you know what that, that next phrase means? It means that when you come and ask him for help, he doesn't look down from heaven and go, well, how stupid can you be? How many times have I told you this? Can't you figure this out? No, he says, hey, you need some help? You need some wisdom? Here it is. You want some more? Here it is. There's only one condition. You gotta go ask. And again, I ask, why would you not? I think there can only be one reason, and that's pride. I'd rather do it myself. What an invitation. This, this invitation of God in Hebrews chapter 10 when he says, draw near. is like God ringing the dinner bell and saying, come and get it. What a tremendous invitation. Man, I want all of that I can get. But not only is there an invitation into his presence, there is a qualification. And he says that in verse 22 of Hebrews 10. He says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. If I was to summarize the rest of that verse, I would summarize it in one word, and that is the word godliness. God says, I welcome you into my presence with one qualification, and that is you must be godly. 1 Peter 1.16 puts it this way. You be holy, for I am holy. That, that's God talking. God says, you be holy, for I am holy. He enumerates this, or he, he breaks it down for us by saying, first of all, you need to have a sincere heart. A sincere heart. Or probably better translated, a true heart. The root word there is the root word for truth in the Greek language. A true heart. When Jesus was on the earth, somebody came and said, what is the greatest commandment in the Old Testament law? Jesus said, here it is. Love the Lord your God with half your heart, half your soul, and half your mind. Love the Lord your God with most of your heart and soul and mind. How about love the Lord your God with, with all your heart on Sunday? Really sing it up good. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. 
You know, it's not hard to look inside and to find out whether you have truly put yourself into God's hands. It's not hard. It's not complicated. It may be hard to do at some points in life. But it's not hard to know. God says, come to me completely. Give me everything you've got. Don't hold back anything. And then he says, not only a true heart, but full assurance of faith. Full assurance of faith. James 1.6 says that when we come to God for that wisdom, that we must not doubt. And this is a tough point, because, because we do doubt, and we think, Pastor Dave, how can I get past my doubt? I would say there are two things that will help you get past your doubt. And the first comes to us from Romans 10.17, when it says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by what? The Word of God. If you are struggling with doubt, and you came to me personally and asked, the first thing I would ask is, I would say, when's the last time you read your Bible? And you'd say, oh, you just just can't read your Bible and get faith. Well, apparently you can, because God says you can. And the reason for that is, class, this is not the same kind of book as some other book that might be laying around here. You know what the difference is? This book is inspired by God. This book is empowered by the Holy Spirit. This book will be enlightened to you when you read it because the Holy Spirit will open your mind. And if you will welcome it and say, yes, God, he will empower you to do it. Now, if you read the Bible, you know, standing back here and go, well, yeah, whatever, maybe, you know, I'm not sure. And you're, you're kind of reading it like a textbook at school. No, it probably is not going to help you too much. But if you come and say, God, show me your truth. Enlighten me. Empower me. Build faith in me. He will do it through the word. Faith isn't something you work up inside you as though, you know, you uh, saw a guy on TV the other night that sets a little bomb and puts himself on top of it so he gets blown off, you know, some kind of a stuntman thing. And before he does it, he gets down on his knees and, you know, gets himself psyched up. Well, I guess, man, how do you get psyched up to light a bomb under you? I don't know. Hey, friends, you don't have to get psyched up to live for God. It's not your job. It's the Holy Spirit's job. Your job is to get in this book and to say, God, teach me. And you read and you, and you say, okay, I'm going to give it a shot, God. I'm going to give it my best. And as you do that, God comes along beside you in what I call the divine human cooperative. I don't know how it works together. But I know you have to do your part and God will do his part. You want to have solid belief, get in the word. And then the second thing is here in, in Hebrews... 1022, the second aspect to building faith is having your heart sprinkled from an evil conscience and your body washed with pure water. You're thinking, boy, Pastor Dave, that is some of the most obscure language I've read in the Bible. Throughout the book of Hebrews, he is constantly alluding to or directly referring to the Old Testament. 
And he's using that as a picture to teach these people who were well-versed in the Jewish way of religion, but not well-versed in Christianity. And the sprinkling of the heart is no doubt an allusion to the Old Testament practice. When they killed the animal, only a small amount of the blood was used for the sacrifice. And it was sprinkled. There were times when it was sprinkled on the people. There were times when it was sprinkled here and there. It was sprinkled particularly on the Ark of the Covenant, on the mercy seat on top of that one day of year. But the sprinkling of the heart here refers to having your heart purified by God, by the blood of Christ. Look at Hebrews 9, verse 14. How much more then shall the blood of Christ, the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, how much more shall that cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this reason, Christ is the mediator of the new covenant, this new agreement by whereby we can have our sins taken away. Let us draw near. When you draw near to God, what has to be true is that you have first had your sins taken away by the sprinkling of the blood of Christ on your heart. Now, is that a physical, literal thing? No. No. It happens when you put your faith in Christ as your Savior. When you look at God's Word and it says, Jesus... The eternal Son of God took on a human body and shed His blood to pay for your sins because that's what God required. When you look at that and say, I believe God sprinkles your heart with His blood and washes away your sin. And you are prepared to come into the, to the presence of God. And then he says, we need to have our bodies washed with pure water. Does that mean before you come into church, we're going to put a hot tub out front and you're all going to, you know, you want to be first to church on that Sunday, don't you? <laughs> no, again, he's alluding to the Old Testament practice wherein God said, you, you offer the sacrifice and then the priest, before he would go into the tabernacle to actually sprinkle the blood, there there was the killing of the sacrifice. Then there was a ritual washing before he would go in to do his priestly work. I believe the washing that he's referring to here, that it takes from that picture of, of a ritual cleansing to picture the cleansing of the soul, is from the word of God. In, first, in, excuse me, in John 15, 3, Jesus said this to his disciples, You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. In Ephesians 5.26, we read that Jesus is right now working on us Christians to bring us to complete righteousness by the washing by water of the word. Turn with me to 1 John 1, please. Almost to the back of your Bible, 1 John 1. Starting in verse 5. The Apostle John writes this, This is the message we have heard from him and we declare to you, that God is light. He is completely, perfectly righteous. God is light, and in him no darkness dwells. If we say we have fellowship with him, 
Let me paraphrase that in light of Hebrews 10. If we say that we have access directly into his presence, and yet we are walking in darkness or sin, we are lying. And we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess or admit our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This passage tells us very clearly that God expects us to live what we might say in a righteous lifestyle. If I were to ask you what is the tone of your life, what is the style of your life, what is the normal pattern of your life, it should be one of righteousness if you call yourself a Christian. If you call yourself a Christian and your lifestyle is not one of righteousness, there's two reasons for that. Number one, you're fooling yourself about really knowing Christ as Savior. And, and we have to honestly take a look and say, do I? Do I? Have I really put my faith in Christ? The second reason is because as a Christian, there is some little thing that we have hung on to and we will not surrender to God. And so we continue to walk in sin and then we look up to heaven and pray and say, you know, when I pray, nothing happens. And the problem is not with God. But the great news is, the great news of 1 John 1, 9 is you are never more than one step off the path with God. You're never more than one step off the path. And that step is the step of confession, which literally means to agree with God. God says certain things are sin. You want to confess what you have done to him? You go and say, God, I did a sin. And when you agree with God, God says, I forgive you. And he says, not only that, but the blood of Christ is going to be cleansing everything else in your life that you didn't even know was a sin, that you've forgotten about. Wow. Full assurance is the result of righteousness. Turn back to Hebrews 10:22 as as we bring our thoughts to a conclusion today. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith having or having already had our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Do you want to have full assurance? Do you want to have a true heart after you accept Christ as your savior? Live in righteousness. The most common cause of doubting salvation is living in sin. I, I don't know anybody in the circles I travel in who live for the Lord who doubt their salvation. God says, you want to you draw near with a true heart and full assurance? Live righteously. As a chaplain for the Tukwila Police Department, I had almost complete access to the, to the actual facility and the people. When I would drop in, I would just go from office to office, and I'd talk to anybody that would talk to me, and some of them would, and some of them wouldn't. And uh, I didn't need an appointment, 
But I was never given the unlock code to the front door. They had electronic doors. They had electronic locks. You know, the a little number pad there. And uh, these were kind of two-sided switches and a little, little electronic thing there and also on the back door. And they had a little plastic cover over it so that when the police officer put his hand in and pushed the buttons, the only way you could have seen would have been to go like that <laughs> and get your nose right down in there. And I don't know how many dozens and dozens of times I went through that door, either standing at the window going, hi, and they pushed the button so I could get in, or actually I'm out riding with a police officer going to and fro, and we had to come back to the station and we go in through that door. Nobody ever once offered to give me that combination. That's because I wasn't a police officer. And I wasn't trusted with that. But you know what? God says, come on in. Free access, complete access, anytime, day or night, come on in. No locks on this door. The old covenant high priest visited the Holy of Holies once a year. But we are invited to live, to dwell in the presence of God every moment of every day. Heavenly Father, you have given us a privilege far, far, far beyond anything we might even think we deserve. And when we are honest about we don't deserve it at all. But we are sure thankful for it today. We are sure thankful that we can live righteously and come directly to you, right into your presence. Oh, Father, help us to draw near. Help everyone who is here to draw near to you. I pray in Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to Hope for Life, the broadcast teaching ministry of the First Baptist Church of Ferndale, Washington. You can learn more about our ministry on the internet at www.ferndalebaptist.com or you can contact us by mail at First Baptist Church, P.O. Box 69, Ferndale, Washington, 98248. Telephone 360-384-3111. We invite you to join us for worship Sunday mornings at 1045 a.m. Our prayer is that God's Word will give you hope for life.